Kathy is not here yet, so you can't, well, you can yell into it now because it's recording, but. Hello. Hi. Hello. There's beer happening. Hang on. I remember there's undrinkable swill. Ooh. Is it still good or is it still undrinkable? I'm undrinkable swill too. Welcome to Stargazing, a Stargate gazing podcast. I'm your host, Kathy. And I'm your other host, Mary. And each week we discuss an episode of Stargate beginning with Stargate SG-1. It's not bad, but it's flat. No, I think it's oxidized. It's kind of gray. I'm also oxidized and kind of gray. I guess I won't drink it. <laughs> Kathy says she's also oxidized and kind of gray. It's, it's literally undrinkable swill. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not It's not great, though. It was good. Yeah, it was. It, it's been sitting there a long time. Yeah, it's been okay. Beer wolf. <laughs> Hello. Early visit from the beer wolf. Indeed. Did he leave you with anything? Oh, I already had a beer. Ah, okay. (laughs) How you doing? I'm okay. How are you? Tired. Uh, Yeah. My brain. Me too. Just is not working very well. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah. Do you want to change to a different day? No, I'm good. I'm just. Is it was a long day. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I haven't, you know, this is my second week of classes. It still hasn't been a full week because last week we started on Tuesday for yeah. no apparent reason. And this, yeah, this week we also started on a Tuesday because of the uh, holiday. But my brain is just having trouble getting back into work. Yeah. Mo- like regular work mode. I've been work mode all summer. But, you know, like <laughs> this daytime schedule mode. Yeah. And multiple class mode, as opposed to having one night class that I'm completely focused on. I'm feeling very scattered. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. (sighs) I'm sure you're busy with your back-to-schoolness, too. Yeah. It was a lot today. I did a lot of talking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know that feeling, too. (laughs) And I told you about this, but we had a mechanical issue with some technology in the library with every device Ugh. and every few minutes someone would be like did you know that this is broken and i'm like yes i reported it and so did my colleague <laughs> last night yesterday awesome. And, awesome. and then someone else would be like hey did you know about this and i'm like yes yes i do go away it reminds me a little bit of what i've been dealing with at work i think i told you that i've taken over if I had mentioned it on the podcast, but I've told you that I've taken over maintenance of the online lab manual, oh, yeah. which has been like riddled with typos and grammatical errors and mistakes in the answer keys and everything. And I spent literally the entire summer working on fixing it. But of course, like there were so many mistakes in it that I've still missed some. And so the same kind of thing will happen where I'll have a student be like, I found a mistake in the answer key. I'm like, cool, I'm going to go fix that right now. And then two minutes later, another student, I found a mistake in the answer key. Yep, I'm literally working on it right now. And then five minutes later, oh, I forgot to mention that earlier I found. Yeah, I get it. I already fixed it. I get it. Yeah. 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 And when I fix it, of course, I have to fix it like in that individual class. But then I also have to go to the other section of ANP2 that has the same mistake in it. And then I need to go into the master copy of the master lab that everyone else is copying their labs out of and fix it in there so that I don't have to then listen to the other instructors <laughs> eventually making the same complaint. Uh, I hear you. I hear yeah, you on yeah. the technical <laughs> issues like, that everyone in the world likes to tell you about. At the same time. At the same time. Like, exactly. Like, I know about this already. Yeah. 
I've done everything I can, which is report it. I literally yeah. can't do anything else. Yeah. At least in this case, I can fix the situation. True. But still, like on days when I have a bunch of students asking me other kinds of questions, it might take me a while to go back and fix it. And yeah. Good yeah. Times. Good times. Computers. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Last episode is a good one to complain about technical <laughs> issues. It's true. Less so with this one. Although I guess this is kind of a technical issue, too. Though. Yeah. This yeah. isn't supposed to happen, what happens in this episode. No. Who's having issues with technical difficulties in this episode? The people of this ship. Indeed. And also, well, I guess Daniel, too. <laughs> yes, specifically Daniel is having some problems with the mechanical errors of yeah. the ship. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose we can segue into that now. Yeah. What are we talking about today? Uh, this is Stargate SG-1 Season 7, Episode 6. As I struggle to get back to my notes to remember that as I'm saying it. <laughs> We're on a non-Earth planet. Seems to be a desert. There's a ship on the desert. On the desert, yes. In yep. the desert, crashed. SG-1 has gone inside the ship because they're always just walking on ships that don't belong to them. And mm -hmm. it always goes well. Mm -hmm. Gotten some sort of signal that the ship was here from the MALP. So they're here to check it out, even though Sam has doubts anyone survived. But they are going to investigate and see if they can figure out how long the ship's there. And probably if they could, you know, steal all the technology, which never works out for them anyway. And by steal, I mean use whatever. <laughs> <laughs> there are a bunch of people in pods lining the walls of each corridor. And Sam says that they are alive in a cryogenic sleep. They don't look like they're in any kind of cryogenic state. Like you would no. expect them to look frozen and maybe kind of bluish or yeah, something. But they, they, no. they just look perfectly normal. Just yep. in a pod. <laughs> yep. Sam explains that they would need to do this if they did not have any faster-than-light technology in order to travel between stars, because otherwise it would take generation or generations, and something about relativity that Jack cuts off <laughs> and says, we've got a shipload of frozen people. They he just do. pared it down for her, and that was good. Yep. <laughs> They decide that they need to count how many people are frozen on this ship, and then they'll figure out what to do from there. Yeah. Tilkid also mentioned he thought that they had survivors because the frozen state would have protected them from impact, but I would think that that would make them more likely to <laughs> snap like twigs oh, if they were frozen. That's true. Maybe they're well, uh, well cushioned. <laughs> yeah, maybe they've got some... Super strong inertial yeah. dampeningers. Yeah, you know, they <laughs> had <laughs> inertial dampeningers. dampeningers yeah. <laughs> you know, they probably did a lot of testing, um, dropping eggs. Oh, from, yeah. You know, high distance, high places to yeah. see what would best cushion bodies. Good call. Good call. In a crash ship. Mm -hmm. I bet you're right. Yeah. So they split up. Jack and Daniel go one way, Sam and Tilk go another. They start their counting. We see them wandering through the corridors. Jack is literally counting out loud. And then he flashes his light on number 106 and realizes that person's dead and says, revision number five. 
or 105. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's fine. Then Daniel hears something. So he yells to Jack, but then suddenly there's a flash of light. And then we get a scene of all of them unconscious. Like, excessively long shot of all of them unconscious. I felt like it, <laughs> it was, was a little unnecessary. <laughs> it was quite long, yeah. <laughs> like, we get it. They're all down. After credits, Tilk is the first one to wake up. And it made me laugh because he went from lying down flat on his back to suddenly sitting upright without using his arms or anything to help just stiffly sat upright, nice. which reminded me of how Data sits up in the naked now. Ah. And the only reason that I remember that is because I just rewatched that episode like the oh, night before okay. <laughs> and watched awesome. this. I was like, huh, Tilk sits up like Data does. <laughs> Good core muscles, guys. Exactly. I actually wrote that in my notes. I was like, wow, these guys have great core strength. <laughs> so yeah, Tilk. Lay it out flat on the ground, suddenly sits upright, no arms to help. Good core, yeah. despite the hole in his tummy. <laughs> he calls for everybody, but nobody answers. He stands up, and the guy behind him in the pod looks like he's got all kinds of holes in his face, and it was really grossing me out. <laughs> because I'm definitely one of those fear of holes. It's not fear of holes, but like get really grossed out by many holes. Yeah, yeah. It's called trypophobia, if anyone cares, but it was gross to me, and I hated it. And I was very glad when he continued on and got away from this person. <laughs> so he's running around the ship. The Foley artist made weird choices with the shoe sounds because they made Tilk's footsteps sound loud and slappy and like he was wearing a really hard-soled shoe. Even though I'm sure he was just wearing like rubber <laughs> boots or something. So it was distracting to me because all I was noticing was not what Tilk was doing, but just how loud the footstep <laughs> sounds were and how they didn't actually really seem to match Tilk's movements. That's interesting. What I was paying attention to is who he found first. <laughs> because where the hell was Sam? Mm. She Wasn't she supposed to be with Tilk? <laughs> now that you mention it, she was supposed to be with Tilk, but he finds Jack first. Yeah. So that doesn't make any sense. No. Yeah. But this scene of him running around the ship looking for everyone was nice and long for me to be distracted and kind of annoyed by... By the poop sounds. <laughs> also, every once in a while, they would show a random close-up of somebody in a pod. And I was wondering who those people were. Like, did they just choose, like, I don't know, the, some writer's sister or, like, oh. some executive producer's kid? Or, you know, are these, like, VIP people in there? <laughs> how did they decide who to put in the pods? And good why do some of them get a close-up and others don't? Very good question. Anyway, I don't have answers to that. No. I didn't bother to look at any of that up. <laughs> Tilk finds Jack, who is still unconscious. Sam is right there also for reasons, even though, again, they weren't together before. And then he finds Daniel, who opens his eyes a little bit. He's the only one that has any kind of reaction. And then not only does he have the slight reaction of opening his eyes a little bit, he suddenly starts screaming in terror. <laughs> that seems bad. Yeah. And next we're back at the SGC, where SG4 and... Teal'c are bringing the rest of SG-1 home. Jack and Sam are still unconscious and on stretchers. Teal'c escorts Daniel, I think, and Daniel yeah. just seems completely confused and, like, he keeps repeating he has to go back and he is very upset. Wait. Yeah. Dr. Frazier is there as well, obviously, as the doctor of the SGC. She says to Daniel that it's okay and don't be afraid. 
Danielle asks, who are you? What is this place? Did you notice how close of a call it was to Daniel almost getting through the event horizon in the wrong direction? Oh my God, like, yes, I forgot right that Right before Fraser came in. Yes, yeah. okay, oops. He broke he broke free from Tilk's grip and almost made it through just as they oh, were shutting man. down the wormhole. That would have been a very different episode again. It sure would have, <laughs> yes. Also, Daniel came back for six episodes and then died <laughs> and then again. Died yet again. I've lost track of how many times he's <laughs> yeah. died at this point. That one seems like it would probably be permanent. <laughs> <Yeah. now>. <laughs> <laughs> Although all the other ones have too, so here we are. Uh, maybe if you jump backwards through the wormhole, you actually just ascend automatically. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> so... My thought at this point was, ugh, again with the memory loss. Yeah. But. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I bet Kathy is loving this. Yeah. <laughs> Down in the infirmary, Hammond is in the nursing station watching Jack and Sam be monitored. That's, that's it. That's that scene. <laughs> Elsewhere in the infirmary, Daniel is being annoying. <laughs> Just really annoying. So Daniel is wide awake. There's a bed that's got some restraints on it that are clearly not being used because he's just wandering around and ranting and raving, asking who's responsible for this and why he's a prisoner. He does have straps around his wrists, even though he's not currently being tied down to the restraints on the bed. There are a couple of orderlies behind him trying to seemingly keep an eye on things. And Fraser is talking to him as well, saying that she'll remove the restraints as soon as he starts to calm down. Daniel doesn't know how he's supposed to be calm, or at least we think it's Daniel at this point. And he had been promised that nothing could go wrong. And I was wondering what the hell kind of accent this is supposed to be. Is it British? <laughs> I think. I looked some sort of a feat. <laughs> Upper class something? I don't know. It was bad, whatever it was. Apparently, they started with a sort of Rafe Fiennes German accent from Schindler's List and then switched <laughs> it to some sort of British accent, but it said in the yeah. Wikipedia page that I was looking at that it was supposed to be in, like, the style of Patrick Stewart. <laughs> I was Seriously? Not in the style of, but, like, inspired by, I don't know. If you cooperate. I will undergo no more of your tests. Engage. Uh, okay, I definitely did not get Patrick Stewart from this. <laughs> no. But sure. Wow. Yeah, well, it was awful, whatever it was. <laughs> Daniel keeps going on about wanting to know what's wrong and wanting to know why he's being restrained. Fraser keeps telling him that she doesn't have any answers and that she just wants to keep doing more tests, but Daniel doesn't want to do any more tests. She asks him if he's in any pain, and he says he's in a great deal of pain. He's got quite a headache and frequently just stops with his hands on his head and makes agonized noises. Fraser doesn't really have any answers other than to say she's just going to keep trying to find answers for him and try to stay calm until then. Otherwise, she's going to have him tied down again. <laughs> Hammond and Teal'c are watching this interaction from an observation area. Teal'c says, that is not Daniel Jackson. <laughs> but he's also not a ghoul, they have already concluded. Yeah. Dr. Frazier joins them at that point and is like, yeah, but he's every bit as arrogant. <laughs> she has no answers yet on what's going on with Daniel. Doesn't know if it's a mental illness, which Hammond suggests. She says his ECG readings are like nothing she's ever seen, which happens a lot, I feel like. But yes. Then she also says there's indication of 
coma and also readings like a dozen people all jumbled together. So that doesn't sound great. She doesn't know if it's life-threatening, though. Teal'c says that this person that Daniel is saying with his British affectation is a passenger on the crashed ship. Dr. Fraser does not have any idea how that could be possible, but she agrees. Teal'c is right. That's what he thinks. And she says they're dealing with more than one passenger because he has behaved very differently at different points since he's been back. Two or even three separate personalities and possibly more. Hmm. <laughs> then in the background, Daniel hurls something at the mirror, which is really <laughs> funny. <laughs> yes. Teal'c explains that they were counting the people in the chambers and then they were separated. Teal'c lost consciousness and he found them all and everything is the same here as it was on the planet when Teal'c found them. <laughs> Fraser then says she's going to go check on Sam and Jack. Teal'c, though, is like, I am going to stay here and watch Daniel be crazy. I like that Hammond actually told Tilk to go to the infirmary to get checked out. And Tilk was like, no. And <laughs> so Hammond's basically like, okay. <laughs> Somebody's got to be Jack. Yeah, Tilk has gotten as good at Jack as saying no to Hammond and just doing whatever he wants, basically. Back down with Daniel, he's talking to a tech about how he's normally a very rational man. And the tech's like, sure, whatever you say. Daniel introduces himself as a sovereign of Telthus, and his name is Martise. And I was thinking that I would much prefer Martith, please. <laughs> Me too. But alas, that is yeah. not what we get. Medtech, of course, has no idea what Daniel is talking about, but addresses Daniel as sir. And Daniel says, well, that's a start in this. <laughs> and then he takes some aspirin or whatever it is that the tech hands him. They look like big blue pills. Yeah. I don't know. Water and pills, Water presumably and pills. for his headache. Yeah. In the infirmary, Dr. Fraser is checking in on Sam and Jack. They remained unconscious just as long as needed because they then wake up right now. Jack says he has a bad headache. And other than the nail through his head, he feels fine and himself, which Dr. Fraser obviously was concerned about, <laughs> given Daniel. Indeed. Yeah. And then Sam wakes up, too. I just noticed here that Fraser talks about their EEGs being normal, but before she had mentioned ECGs, which would actually not be measuring things like coma and ah. brain readings. An ECG measures the heart, whereas an oh. EEG measures the brain. <laughs> Oops. So I don't know why they said ECG before, but they definitely did. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they meant EEG yeah. for that one, too, <laughs> as they were talking about here. Yeah. She tells Sam it's going to be fine that they both suffered a neural shock. Hammond comes in to see how they're doing, and Jack has a headache, and their EEGs are normal, Dr. Frazier reports again, and they are unaffected by whatever's going on with Daniel. Jack tries to get up and go figure out what the hell's going on, but Dr. Frazier doesn't think that's a good idea, and then Jack really can't get out of bed anyway, so he also decides that's a good idea to stay in bed. Back down with Daniel slash Martise. Dantise. Dantise. <laughs> he wants them to find the small woman. <laughs> 
and say the medicine wasn't good enough. <laughs> Fraser does happen to come down just then and asks how Dantes is feeling. And he is not happy and says that the medicine is worthless and that this body must be damaged. Fraser says, well, he was in perfect health before. She uses Dr. Jackson's name when she's referring to the body. And so Dantes is interested to learn that the former is Dr. Jackson. He does like this body because it's younger and stronger than his original one, but he wants to know what happened to his actual body because his people are going to need him. They need their sovereign in times of trouble and strife, and they're not going to be able to recognize him with this new face. (laughs) Fraser just continues to reiterate that they don't know what happened. They're not the ones that did this. She has no more answers for him now than she did before. All she can really say is that he's in a military facility on a planet called Earth in a medical isolation room. They found his ship crashed on another planet. Martis Dantis asks how far they are from Ardina, which was the planet that they were aiming for, but Fraser doesn't know that either. He asks what's gone on with the other passengers. Has anyone been looking for him? But she says that they're all still unconscious, all still on board the ship. And also a handful of others that are there with them right now, in addition to those back on the ship. Dantis asks if they're being held prisoner, and Fraser says, no, I'm pretty sure that they're in there with you. Suddenly, Dantis's demeanor changes, and when Fraser asks if it's still Martis in there, he says, no, he's just a crew member. He is not the sovereign. His name is Tryan. Dryan. Dryan. Perfect. Yeah. Dryan wants to know how this can be. He realizes that he's not in his own body as well and also realizes that Fraser was just talking to Martise in the same body. He talks about how this is some sort of a terrible mistake. Fraser's very confused about what's happening, so he goes into a little bit more detail about how he's an engineer, second rank. He is definitely not the same person she was talking to before. She says they're going to start again. And he's like, what do you mean again? Again? And then we're back with Dryan and Dr. Fraser, picking right up where we left off. Teal'c is watching from above still. We get a shot of that. Tryon does not recognize Daniel's face, obviously. Yeah. Tryon realizes that he was not on board their ship, the Stromos. And how could he have ended up in Daniel's body? Dr. Frazier doesn't have any real answers to that. She just can tell him that the ship crashed. They don't know how it crashed or why. And that everyone was in a cryogenic sleep when they found him. And then somehow, poof, Daniel's other people. (laughs) I felt like this iteration was less, like the affectation was less bad than the first one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It didn't feel quite as forced and melodramatic. As the first one, this one reminded me a little bit of Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, the accent. Okay, okay. And the, I could the see personality. That. Yeah. 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 And how can I have ended up in his body? I found it a bit more tolerable than the first one. Yeah. Dryan doesn't remember anything either. So Dr. Fraser asks what he does remember. And then he recounts by way of flashback what's going on. And this is a flashback to the time. That they are getting ready to leave their home planet in this big ship. He is telling, I guess, his boss that the compartment is secure. 
And then he hops into one of the stasis pods himself, and then he's gonna go to sleep now. And then we're back with Tryon. Dr. Fraser tells him he was the fourth personality that she has seen, and that the other personalities are also from his ship, all in one body, which he is very alarmed to hear. He says the strain on the body would be too great and it would not survive. But also, this is inconceivable. Inconceivable! You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And the result would be insanity. He says, this could not have happened because you can't return your consciousness to anybody but your own. (laughs) Because they have fail-safes in place for that. Clearly it didn't work so well. No. Dr. Fraser's like, well, clearly something happened and you're wrong because look, look what's happening. You're the only person who's been helpful so far. So maybe think about how maybe this could happen. Tryon then explains that they, the pod people, I don't know what to. <laughs> that works. Yeah, <laughs> that works for me. We came here from a dying world. We drift through the universe from planet to planet, pushed on by the solar winds. We adapt. The pod people's consciousness is stored in the same memory module as their body. And you can't separate them or send the consciousness anywhere else. Unless, and then he's like, oh no, the sleeper's bodies are dead. And at that point, I was like, why would their consciousnesses, consciousness says, consciousness, what's the plural of consciousness? Consciousnesses, consciousies. I was wondering why they had to be separated, although they answer it later. But I was like, what? yeah, I was really confused about that too. And they do definitely have a hand wavy explanation yeah. later. But I was like, oh, that's bullshit. Yeah, it is actually a literal bullshit explanation that they give. But I guess I'll complain about that when we get there. Yay! I got a cat. Did you finish? I got distracted. Yeah, I finished. Okay, okay. Did you just lick my leg, you weirdo? <laughs> Lily does that when I come home from a run, and it's disgusting and creeps me out every time. She's licked me, too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've all been Lily licked. It's especially gross when I'm literally dripping with sweat and sunscreen. I believe that. she's like, ooh. (laughs) Delicious. In the observation room, Tilk is hanging out. Jack and Sam have joined him. Hammond is also in there. They're just watching the show, (laughs) basically. Tilk fills them in on how this is Tryon, and this is yet another person that they have found. Tilk says that Daniel Jackson's preliminary electroencephalogram proved anomalous, and Jack dares him to say that again. That was really funny because Tilk just is like challenge accepted, but Hammond yeah. <laughs> puts an end to that. Yes, he does. Yeah, he looks up and is about to say it again, and Hammond's like, it doesn't matter. Fraser's declared code 17. So he's got to be on constant guard down there. And there's only a very small number of people that are allowed to have any direct contact with him as a precautionary measure in case whatever the issue is, is something he can pass on. They again reiterate that it's not a Gould. That's exactly and what a Gould would say. <laughs> that is exactly what a Gould would say. How do we know that it's that they're not Goulds? We don't now, know. That are saying that it's not a Gould. They might have taken over and we wouldn't even know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Long story short, they're going to go back to the planet to have another look at the cryogenic systems to see if they can find any clues as to what might have gone wrong or how this could have happened. And they're going to meet up with Fraser for a briefing, presumably before they do that. Meanwhile, while everyone else is going to prep for that mission, Jack is just going to hang out here and continue to observe. Even though only medical personnel are allowed actual access to Daniel. Jack doesn't really care. He just wants to be there, I guess. Which is honorable. Yeah. Back down in the room with Dr. Fraser and Dryan, they're still talking. Dryan's like, nope. Oh my god, we're dead. There's no, th- no other way this could have happened. Only after you're dead can we override the fail-safes. <laughs> And everyone else here and here with me is also dead. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Frazier then asks why the consciousness are separated so that then this could happen. <laughs> and he says that a consciousness cannot survive the restoration process. So I guess that's defrosting without <laughs> yes. significant loss of memory and intellect for reasons. See, that's what was, yeah. that was annoying me because that's just such garbage because... If there's that much damage to the brain happening that the conscious, like, okay, so first of all, we don't really understand exactly what consciousness is or how it works, but it's thought that it's focused in the cerebral cortex, which is like the outermost layer of the brain. And so if the brain is receiving that much damage to the cerebral cortex that you'd be destroying the consciousness, it doesn't make sense that you can just remove the consciousness and have it be fine and then put it back into the severely damaged cerebral cortex and have the consciousness still be fine. That makes no sense. Okay. So, like, if you're damaging the brain so much that you're destroying the area where consciousness is housed, then how does removing the consciousness and putting it back in fix that problem? Uh, yeah. Because consciousness is not a separate thing. It's <laughs> a function of a part of the brain. So if you destroy or you damage the part of the brain that's doing it, it's not going to do it right anymore. You're going to be putting it back into, like, a broken machine, essentially. And it's not going to work. Somehow removing the consciousness stops the brain damage? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But then also, me- so memory happens elsewhere in the brain, hippocampus primarily. and But like same kind of thing. How is the hippocampus suddenly now fine again after they've thawed? It just doesn't make any sense. Yep. Additionally, though, we learn that they can't also simply re-upload an individual's consciousness back into their pod, even if they wanted to. He then uses water to demonstrate how their consciousnesses consciousnesses I can't believe I have to pluralize that word. <laughs> it I mean, that is does not of it. sound right at it all. Doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those weird words that yeah. definitely does not sound no. correct, but is. But yeah, so they're all jumbled together. You could say consciousnesses if you prefer. Consciousness. 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 Anyway, all of these people are jumbled together inside Daniel's brain, whereas apparently before, so he's got a glass of water and he's like, if I, you know, he dumps the water into a pitcher and he's like, will these molecules ever be returned to this glass just as they were before in precisely the same configuration? And Dr. Frazier's like, no. And therefore, it is the same with their brains. They're all poured into the pitcher that is Daniel's mind and there's nothing they can do. Dr. Frazier's like, but if they can separate consciousness, can't they isolate it? And then Dryan gets distracted and is like, I can hear the other voices. 
Dr. Frazier asks him to please stay with her. But then he goes and suddenly it is actual Daniel for just a moment. He seems very confused and <laughs> asks what is going on. And Dr. Frazier's like, something has happened and just hang on. Dryan has that negative energy that Sam sometimes brings or the Jaffa who aren't Teal sometimes or Braytac sometimes bring to this. Very true. Can't be done. No, it's impossible. <laughs> all hopeless. We're dead. Everything. All hope is lost. Yep. <laughs> Does Daniel normally call her Janet? I thought it was weird. I thought he normally called her Dr. Fraser. You know, I don't know. And I don't remember enough to yeah. know. Here he definitely addresses her yeah. as Janet when it's actually him. Yeah. 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 I mean, Weird. they've known each other long enough. True. Sam calls her Janet. Yeah. And well, that makes sense. They they definitely but are friends, also friends outside yeah. of this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting transition to the briefing room because we have a close up on Daniel's face that is happening on a monitor. And then it's kind of a continuation of the previous conversation where there's a close-up of Daniel's face and then it switches to a monitor view and zooms out from the monitor and we're in the briefing room. Fraser says that that was her only interaction with Daniel and then yet another person came out shortly after that so she wasn't really able to learn anything about what's going on with Daniel himself. They also weren't able to learn anything from the next person that came out after Daniel. But at least they know he's still there and presumably mostly okay. They've done some more, I guess not probably another test, but more detailed analysis of his EEG and MRI. It looks like Daniel himself is in a coma. How they would know exactly what signal is Daniel versus anybody else in the jumble, I don't know. But she says that it looks like Daniel himself is in some sort of a coma and that he's being suppressed by all the others. Help, help, I'm being suppressed! And... That it must be because Daniel's own consciousness has retreated to protect itself. Hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's why he could only surface for such a short time compared to all of the other sure. personalities <laughs> in there. Yeah. Hammond wants to know how many there are. And Fraser guesses maybe about a dozen or so. Even though she hasn't seen them all? Yeah. It, well, I guess they've seen a handful. At this point, it sounds like they've seen some that we have not necessarily seen oh, because yeah. before she referred to one of them as she and we haven't oh, true. yet actually like on the screen seen a female personality true, come out. True, Yeah. So I'm guessing there's probably a couple others in there that they've identified that we haven't necessarily been privy to. Sam wants to... Sam thinks it's possible to reconfigure the ship's system to at least separate Daniel out, but Hammond reminds her that the last time they were on the ship, they were attacked, even though he just mentioned a little while ago that they're going to be going back to the ship. Now he seems reluctant to let anyone go back to the ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to figure out exactly where that attack came from, whether or not it could have been automated defenses. But Tilk says that when he was looking around for everybody, he did pass by a chamber that had an open door. So he thinks oh. that there might actually be somebody that programmed that attack and that it was not just an automatic response of the ship trying to protect itself. But the question would be, why? Why would they be attacking any visitors? Fraser mentions that Tryon was very sure that his physical body must be dead. And that's the only way that this could happen. And maybe whoever it was that 
started that attack was basically trying to capture SG-1 in order to download these consciousnesses into their brains. A lifeboat, if you will. That's the name of the episode. (gasps) They used it right there. Oh my gosh. So they're going to go with that, that assertion that there's somebody on the ship that was trying to capture them and use their brains to download these people's minds. The the people that were, it's unclear. Like, I know that some of them are dead, but it was a little unclear to me if they were all dead or they were later talking about some of them not actually being dead, but not having enough power to revive them. So I'm guessing they're still alive and they just don't have a way to wake them them it was ambiguous yeah i mean i thought that they were referring to the other people who are technically alive yeah and not in daniel's head but i don't know there's at least one dead person on that thing because we saw the skeleton yes there's definitely at least one dead person but they are they do make mention to a couple other people later we haven't gotten there yet that aren't their physical bodies are not dead yet Hmm. but they don't think that they can revive them and so he was downloading consciousness consciousnesses from people who weren't okay. actually dead because he thought that they would be lost when the ship loses power because it's in the process of losing power. Interesting, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm getting way ahead of us anyway. Whatever. While you were talking about that and they were talking about separating Daniel out, I just was picturing pulling out a wire from a whole pile of wires and then stuffing the wires back into whatever basket you keep all your wires in. And that's what they want to do. <laughs> And then also they keep saying jumble and we keep saying jumble and it makes me want to sing welcome to the jumble. Um, (laughs) That's what I think about. Fantastic. It just makes me think of the word puzzle jumbles Mm. because I like, Uh, I used to like those. Nice. Back in the day when I got a newspaper on a regular basis. And by I, I mean my parents. (laughs) Because I, as an adult, have never gotten a newspaper on a regular basis. No, me either. (laughs) Back in the isolation room, Jack is still watching. Dr. Fraser is down in there talking to yet another character person from Daniel's brain. And this is Mary's favorite one. <laughs> so favorite that I was literally just complaining to Kathy about this yesterday when we weren't even recording. <laughs> Kathy met me at the end of the New Haven Road Race yesterday yeah. and had lunch with me and it was great. It was great. I enjoyed yeah. it. Me too. Yeah. We drank beer and coffee and ate bread. Yeah. Free bread and free beer. We did pay for the coffee. It was good stuff. The coffee was really good. Thank you. Yeah, right? Yeah, Yeah, of course. Pumpkin cream cold brew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This seems to be a child. Because he's like, where's my father? (laughs) I know I've mentioned it on the podcast too, but in case anyone forgets or hasn't listened to like all of the ones towards the beginning... I'm not a huge fan of child actors, but what I really hate is adults <laughs> that are acting as children. Yeah. And so Daniel trying to be a child here, I hate it so a much. A scared, meek child. I, I didn't want to go. I wanted to stay on Talfus. Yeah, the voice was bad. The facial expressions were awful. Just everything about it made me cringe, <laughs> and I hated it so much. Dr. Frazier goes over and sits next to him to comfort this kid. And she asks his name. His name is Keenan. So this is Deenan we've Deenan. got. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And that's about it for that scene. They introduce <laughs> themselves and then it's over. 
Yeah. Thankfully, it wasn't very long. But unfortunately, he comes back. I was like, maybe that's it. Maybe I don't remember. Maybe Aww. I'm just misremembering how much adult acting as child there is. But no, there's more later. So optimistic of you. So naive. Right? Yeah, I know. I know. In the gate room, Hammond is sending SG-12 out and tells Sam and Teal'c that he doesn't want to see anything happen to them, so don't get too desperate to save Daniel over there. Take care of yourselves while you're also looking for answers. And he wishes them luck. Back in the isolation room, Fraser keeps talking to Deenan, who says that the last thing he can remember is talking to his father. We get another flashback. Thankfully, this involves an actual child playing Keenan instead of Daniel playing Keenan really or Michael Shanks. If, Dan- <laughs> yes. if he played all of the roles, too. It would have quite. Yeah. Actual child Keenan is talking to his dad, asking why he can't go with him. But his dad says that it's got to accelerate and get past some radiation and technical stuff. Basically, the kid's going to be safer here in this pod that he's putting him in, and he's going to go to sleep and have some nice dreams. And then when the kid wakes up, he's going to be in orbit around Ardina, and his dad is going to be there with him, and everything will be great. Keenan asks his dad if Talthus will be gone, and his dad says, yes, there will have been hundreds of years that have passed between present day and when they wake up. And all of this stuff that they're dealing with will be distant history. Everything's going to be fine. Go to sleep. The dad kisses Keenan on the cheek and Keenan goes to sleep. And then, unfortunately, we're back with Michael <laughs> Shanks as Keenan. <laughs> Deenan. Yeah. Where he is continuing to talk about his last encounter. He wanted to stay on Talthus because they had known that Talthus was going to be destroyed long before he was even born. Because apparently there's a dark star, which is a basically dead star, yeah? Or a euphemism for a cat's butthole. Ah! <laughs> that's probably what it was, a cat's butthole that was- I don't know uh, if anyone other than Jeff calls it that. Oh. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a widely used one. <laughs> this dark star- this cat butthole was going to get close <laughs> enough to their sun to cause the sun to flare. That sounds like a terrible problem that a cat butthole Quite. can cause. Absolutely. And that was going to destroy Talthus. So they all needed to get out of there. They built the Stromos and two other ships. Even so, they had to hold a lottery to see who would go and who would die a fiery death. His father was an officer, so he could pick a family member to go with him, and the kid's mother made him choose the son, which I'm pretty sure he probably didn't need to make him do that. Right. <laughs> His mother did not make it through the lottery, even though conveniently the sovereigns did. Of course. Yeah. He just starts crying now, and... He's laying his head in Dr. Fraser's lap while she strokes his hair. And then suddenly we see Daniel's hand clench. And suddenly he is D'Artis again and is like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) And do not ever touch me again, basically. Yeah. And have you fixed my problem yet? And that's where we cut. And then we're back on the Stromos. SG-12 is searching around. 
the ship. I guess probably looking for the guy while Sam is trying to do some research. Yeah, sure. She's checking into some power readings and says that the power levels are extremely low and she doesn't even know how the, any part of the ship is still working Yeesh. or how any of the pods are still online. Tilk suggests maybe if they wake somebody up, they will be helpful, but there is not enough power to wake anybody up. Uh-huh. Kitty! <laughs> Hello, kitty. Did you want something? <laughs> Attention and love. Yeah. Good job, Shady. You're very good at <laughs> commanding both. Back with Dan Tease. He demands to speak to somebody of authority, and Fraser's like, well, you got me, and that's it. Dantis wants to know why Deenan has become involved in this. Fraser's confused as to how he would even know that, I guess. Yeah. yeah. On the Stromos, Sam says that they need to get the ship hooked up to a power source as soon as possible. Otherwise, all of the people on the ship that are still alive are going to die. She's going to use a Nakwita generator for that. And it looks like she's going to do some more explaining about what she's planning to do, except that Teal'c gives her a signal to stop talking because there are some footsteps happening. <laughs> Tilk goes and hides behind a door where he's hearing the footsteps. Sam pretends to keep talking about what she was talking about so that whoever was listening in won't realize that Tilk is sneaking up on him from behind. And then we find a guy. It's the guy that was from the flashback with Keenan. It is Keenan's dad. Sam has a gun drawn on him, but when she sees that he's all teary-eyed and scared, she lowers it, presumably realizing he's not really any kind of threat to them. He also says, don't hurt us. Oh, yeah. I didn't even, that didn't even register to me. Yes, he did say that. Because he is Borg. Us, plural. Yes. <laughs> Never even occurred to me until now. <laughs> good call. Good call. Back in the SGC, in the isolation room, Martise is having some trouble with his neighbors inside Daniel's head. He says it is unbearable and they need to stop shouting. In addition to not being able to deal with these voices, he's like, I have responsibilities. I need to get out of here. People depend on me. I'm the sovereign. They have sworn an oath to me. I really appreciate specifically how the sovereign always couches his concern for his people and how they feel about him. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) He's still not listening to Dr. Frazier as she tries to get him to understand and calm down. He yells at her that she does not realize who she's talking to and she then gets mad and she's like, you don't belong in his body and I'm going to take it back. I felt like her rage was actually much more convincing than <laughs> yeah. Shanks' rage here. I thought she was doing a better job of ang- angry yeah. acting. Still don't realize who you are talking to! I don't give a damn! It's about time someone yelled at this asshole. Right? Seriously. <laughs> on the Stromos, Tilk asks if there are other conscious people on the ship, but the guy that they have found says that nope, the others are all still asleep, and he wants to know why they've come back. Sam's like, because you did something to one of our people. The guy asks if they've brought him back, and of course they have not. He's still in the infirmary. He says, well... He had no choice. There was no other way. He doesn't explain yet what he's actually done, but he says that they must do the same, meaning you, Sam and Tilk, need to do the same thing that he's done to Daniel. Sam's like, uh, no, not so much. <laughs> Farron says that the ship's power is failing, and 
that Farron figured out a way to override the fail-safes so that you can put someone's consciousness into another body. So it can be done. They can save all of the consciousnesses of maybe the whole ship. Maybe not everybody on the ship, but as many as possible. And so that's why I was confused about whether or not he was downloading just the people who had died or people that he thought were going to die if they ran out of power. I don't know. I mean, I just assumed he started with the people who were already dead and would work yeah. from there. But I Yeah, don't know. but like now when he's trying to convince Sam and Tilk, yeah. is he trying to download dead people or is he trying to... I feel like he's moved on to live people. Yeah, because he's talking about how the ship's power is failing and the only way to save the people is to download them. So I'm thinking that their bodies are actually still alive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which was making me wonder, you know, is the kid still alive? Is the kid dead or did he download the kid before the kid could die? I feel like kid gets special consideration being his son. Yeah. So I don't know, but I hope the kid's alive. Yeah, yeah. That's a question... (laughs) Spoiler, we don't get an answer yeah. to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's kind of ambiguous. Anyway, Sam says there's got to be some other way, but he talks about the fact that the ship is losing power. And Sam says, well, we're going to bring a generator so that you'll have more power. It's not going to be that big of a deal. This person, Keenan's dad, says that there are 13 souls now residing in Farron's body. So this person, Keenan's dad, is Farron even though this person is talking about Farron in the third person. So the consciousness is not Farron. It's some other random person that I don't think we get identified. But the body that is hosting this consciousness is Farron. And Farron's head has as many people in it as it can, this person thinks. Tilk asks why he would try to preserve all of these people if their bodies are dead. So I guess that does kind of answer that question. But again, he's trying. it seems like he's implying that he wants to download everybody, whether they're alive or not. It confused me. Fern says that he and the other ships are the last of their entire world. And he sent distress messages, but it's going to be a long time before anybody can hear them and has the chance to get there. And then maybe those people can help restore them after that. So I guess they can fix it. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, he's just hoping that someone will show up. So I felt like they were going back and forth, making it sound like either it is a permanent thing or not a permanent thing. And maybe the bodies are dead. Maybe they're not. I kind of wished they would just make it a little bit less ambiguous. That would be nice. Yeah. Tilk asks why Farron or whoever this is didn't attempt to revive any others. We see a flashback of the ship crashing and Farron explains that after the ship crashed, they don't really know why the crash happened. He, in particular, was revived by the computer, I guess, because of his engineer. Yeah, I would guess so. Status or whatever his role is here. But the ship didn't have enough power left to revive anybody else, and the power levels were continuing to drop quickly. So Farron only had a few minutes to restore power to 12 chambers, enough power to get the consciousness out of them before the bodies actually finished dying essentially but that only answers so he said he's got 12 in his head so that doesn't answer the question of whether or not the ones in daniel's head are dead (laughs) nope (laughs) yeah flashback ends and farron is continuing to say that 
there's over a thousand people on the ship and if Farron had attempted to revive any more, even more people would be dead because they have no power. After the ship crashed, Farron walked around as far as he could on the planet and there was nothing there. And there was also not sufficient food or water for everyone, even if they were revived. So that's a t- tough situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have their two acres per person. No, or no. Or 0. 0.74, depending and, on if you have chickens or exactly. not. Exactly. And no one's milking pigs on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a good glass of refreshing pig milk yeah. when you're thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> Farron's describing the situation in his head now. Apparently they all are aware of each other and can kind of communicate with one another. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. And it definitely didn't seem to be the case initially with Daniel. Is it different in Farron because Farron's not resistant to it or something? Yeah, like maybe because he knows what's happening to him, he can resist going crazy. Yeah, because Farron was a willing host and knew, knew these people, presumably. Maybe it's a little bit... Maybe. more collaborative in his head. Yeah. This is little Tokra of them versus Gold of the ones in Daniel. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic analogy. Sam's like, well, we could have helped you instead of you knocking us unconscious and stuffing Daniel's head full of people. And they're arguing, he's arguing amongst himself about yeah. that. His issue is that he only wants help from them in the sense that he wants more people to go in their heads but that's not the kind of help that sg1 offers we get a flash too of him watching tilk as he uh checks on daniel once they were unconscious they say that their mistake was to run away after tilk woke up so fast so they maybe (laughs) should have re-stunned him or something but they were afraid as they should be of tilk Sam's like, um, actually, I can help you because I can bring you a new power source and fix your energy reserves and maybe then you can revive your people. But I have to go get it. But then, no, he's still fighting with himself about whether or not he agrees with this. Sam also offers that they can take them away because they've got this thing called a Stargate that they've never heard of but is awesome and they will (laughs) soon learn. And she is willing to prove it to him by taking him to Earth. They're only going to help, though, if he agrees to fix Daniel. I did think it was interesting how they filmed the scene. It was very much like in Lord of the Rings when Smeagol is arguing with Gollum. And they would like change the camera view to basically Uh, indicate that it was a different consciousness talking. So... They would like keep changing the camera angle to indicate that it was a different person within Farron that was supposed to be talking. Nice. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They argue back and forth about Daniel versus the other people. That he's really struggling with this. But then Farron's like, oh, wait, there's a way. Maybe. Indeed. And then Sam is like, hey, do don't you know what we're offering? You could save everyone on the ship. And Farron's like, well, one of the people inside your friend is my son. So he's probably not going to just let his son die. Likely not. Yeah. Back in isolation with Dan Teese, he is continuing to talk to Fraser, who is going to give him some fentanyl to help with the pain. But then suddenly Tryan comes back out. Dryan, I should say, <laughs> and says that he apparently has the highest threshold of pain 
of all of them. So he's going to take the reins for a while. Fraser is very relieved that she's got the most rational and easy to deal with consciousness <laughs> on her hands here. Sam comes in and asks if she can have a word with Fraser. So she steps out. In the observation room, Sam follows Fraser, and Hammond, Tilk, and Jack are already there. Meanwhile, down in the room with Dryan, Farron comes in, and Dryan recognizes Farron and introduces himself. Farron recognizes the name, even though he doesn't recognize the face necessarily. They talk about how what happened wasn't supposed to be possible, but if anyone could figure out how to do it, it was Farron, and Dryan wants to know how Farron managed it. Which Farron doesn't really give an answer to, but nope. just basically says, we were trained to survive. And this is better than being dead. <laughs> so <laughs> that that's quite a non-answer. Yeah. They talk about the ship, the fact that it, there are still bodies alive on it, but that it doesn't have enough power to revive them and that the ship is damaged. They have not been able to reach Ardina, of course. And there is still a chance, though, that the passengers that haven't died yet can be saved, but not without considerable sacrifice to Dryan and the others that are also in there with Dryan inside Daniel's head. Farron says that they, people of Earth, have a device that is capable of transporting all people to another world, so presumably the gate, if they can figure out a way to gate to Ardina. And in exchange, though, they want Daniel to be returned to them, so they need to get all the other people out of Daniel's head. And Farron is pretty sure that he knows a way to do it, even though he said no more people can fit <laughs> in his head. We're going to go back on that. Yeah. So Dryan says he'll do whatever is necessary, whatever Farron asks. Dartis doesn't want to hear any of that so he comes out and starts yelling about how there's going to be no sacrifice and as the sovereign he demands that he be returned to the ship immediately Farron drops to his knees and bows before the sovereign so he's just going to defer to whatever Dartis says Sam yells at him but Farron says well I've sworn an oath to him so I can't do anything if he tells me not to Jack is fed up with everything at this point and starts yelling at everyone. He tells Farron to get up and Farron argues that he is sworn to protect the Sovereign, but Jack says that the Sovereign is dead. Farron argues that his soul is still alive and Jack threatens to just cut it out of Daniel. Not that that's at all possible. <laughs> Farron says, no, you wouldn't. Jack's still adamant that he would and could, even though he can't. He doesn't know Jack won't just kill Daniel. He doesn't know Jack at all. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that is true. Yeah, that is very true. Yeah. So there's a lot of arguing and going back and forth. Dartis says that he refuses to surrender Daniel's body. Wine happened. Thank you. Wine Ooh. weasel. Squeak, squeak. <laughs> Ryan comes out and tells Dartis that Daniel's body wasn't theirs to begin with. And... Maybe they should let Daniel have his body back. Continued arguing. And then Keenan comes out. <laughs> or Deenan, shall I say. Farron recognizes the voice and tells Deenan that Deenan must sacrifice as well. So I guess, I guess that Farron dead. has decided that he's now back on team sacrifice, despite what Dartis yeah. said. Well, you know, Jack yeah. got through to him. Yeah. <laughs> So the people of Taltis are going to be safe and they will remember them forever. 
and they'll be together. Keenan minus Daniel and Farron. They will be Fenan. <laughs> I was really confused as to what exactly the sacrifice was that they were making. Is moving from Daniel's head into Farron's head such a great sacrifice? I have no idea. Yeah. Because they didn't just outright, like, kill these consciousnesses. Right. And it's still a little bit ambiguous as to whether or not the consciousnesses in Daniel are dead. I mean, Farron, like we were saying before, basically has already said that the people that he downloaded were dead. But whether or not Daniel was kind of a preemptive measure for ones that Farron thought was going to die. But then they also talk about if they can find their people, they might be able to fix the situation. So... (sighs) My confusion continues. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a sacrifice presumably going to be made. Farron will have a bunch of people living in his head, but Farron and Keenan will be together in Farron's head, I guess. Yeah. With a whole lot of other people. And Keenan's cool with that. Yeah. Which seems awful. Yeah. Can't imagine living in one of my parents' heads. (laughs) It just seems like the worst thing ever. I'd rather be dead. They've all gone back to the ship after this. They've gotten their Nakoda generator over there and they're working on getting things working and they have first order of business is to take Daniel's basket of wires and dump it into Farron's basket of wires. So they're both in two of the pods Apparently the transfers already happened. Daniel's readings are normal, but they don't know if they made it into Farron. Sure. We don't know anything. It doesn't matter anyway. We're never going to hear from these people again, I'm sure. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Frazier says Daniel's consciousness protected himself and never emerged for more than a few seconds, which is how they could take out his cable and keep it separate from the other ones tangled together. I just... (laughs) sorry it's true Uh, Baron has decided to stay in suspended animation until the rest of the passengers can be revived and then they can take care of him so I guess SG-1 is gonna revive all these people without any of their own people in the know being there that just seems I don't know. Maybe they can uh, say to everyone, welcome to the world of tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, they are going to start this process of waking everyone up within a few hours and then they're going to relocate them. Like, did they already find them a planet? How fast is this happening? I don't know. Did they find the planet that they were looking for? Is it in the gate system? Or are they going to have to send them to some other planet and they just have to settle there and maybe try to get to... I feel like they would have needed Farron or they're going to need somebody from the society to help them figure out where the hell Ardina is in the universe before they can figure out if they can get there. Yeah. I don't know. Jack, though, doesn't care. They're going to leave that all to SG-4 because they love this kind of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Sam asks about Daniel, and Dr. Fraser says he'll be unconscious for a while, but suddenly Daniel's awake, and he has a bad headache, and it's a nail-on-the-head kind of thing like Jack was having before, and then they smile, and everyone's happy that Daniel is Daniel and not dead, and that's it. Yep. <laughs> Kathy. Yeah. Did you like the episode? Not really. <laughs> What? I know. I, it just, like, this whole, I, I mean, 
this sci-fi stuff doesn't make sense sometimes but this no. like separating the consciousness but then we can't re put them together it's just silly it's just silly and that sort of did it for me i think the guy who played Farron did a good job of his multiple personalities weird accents aside i mean i <laughs> think michael shanks did a good job differentiating his different personalities and acting with them very differently but i just didn't think it was that interesting of an episode yeah overall like, it fair. was like this is kind of boring in some ways and then the only part of it that would make be interesting would be the actors doing their thing but then it was met my favorite part of the episode is when jack storms in and tells that guy to knock that shit off and (laughs) that that was my favorite part fair because i was also like why the hell is this asshole on his knees being a dumbass like this so that's, I guess, not a lot to say, but I just was not fond of it. How about yes. you? Yeah, I hated the whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing. Like you said, it was a pretty boring episode to me. So the vibe that I got with Michael Shanks having just come back and knowing that he left because he felt like his character was being underutilized, just the entire episode felt to me like Michael Shanks really wanted to have a highlight episode focused on him where he could show off the full range of his acting chops which wasn't actually all that impressive because, as I said, like some of these were very unconvincing or just outright annoying portrayals that he was making. And yes, I'm sure that he did better, way better than I could have. But it definitely, to me, was not, no, it wasn't any kind of masterclass. I found it to be very distracting in some of these. Like the Martise character in particular was just not at all convincing to me. Yeah. So, you know, if you want a convincing masterclass on how one person can play multiple characters in the same show, highly recommend Tachana Maslany in Orphan Black. Yes. Which we talked about before because she's fantastic she's and I love her. She's fantastic. Um, but Michael Shanks, not not who you should defer to. Fun fact, he won an award for this performance. I know. And <laughs> yeah, I actually do remember reading that because I was shocked because I just didn't think, you know, maybe I'm just being too picky. I just didn't think it was that good. And it just felt like he was trying to show off to me the whole time. So I guess that was one of, sorry, I'm going to cut yeah, in because one of my, I guess one of my other issues is that if it was going to be a 100% like Michael Shanks vehicle of an episode, it needed mm-hmm. to be more Michael Shanks focused than it even yeah, was. fair. Which right. it just wasn't. So it felt like very confused in that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. So, go on. <laughs> Yeah, but then there was also the whole MacGuffin reason for having to separate the consciousness out, like, was clearly not a real thing, and it was just giving them a reason to have to download all these consciousnesses into somebody else. Because, again, if consciousness is a function of part of the brain, and if memory is a function of part of the brain, and you're worried that those things are going to be deleted in the process of waking up then the only thing that would delete them would be damage to those parts of the brain so how is that damage then getting fixed before you put them back in that doesn't make any sense if you don't have a way of fixing that damage that would prevent the consciousness or memory from being destroyed then how does it do any good to download them into the brain after they've taken whatever hit they've taken in the wake-up process and then just like like we've been complaining about all the questions about it being ambiguous as to exactly how many of these people are actually dead. Are any of them saveable? What's going to happen to Farron? Or does Farron just have like 24-ish personalities in his head forever now? What kind of a quality of life is that going to be for Farron and all of the people in his head? That sounds awful. So yeah, I did not like it. Too many open questions just 
bad science MacGuffining <laughs> when it comes to separating the consciousness out. And then, like I said, just the whole, yeah. I was not impressed by the acting job. Maybe if they can convince like 20 something other people to take on a consciousness each. So Farron only has to have like him yeah. and his son in his head or yeah, something. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so what was that award that Daniel won? I do remember reading that it was somewhere a and Leo being very surprised award? By I that. don't even okay, know what that yeah. is. So clearly somebody who presumably knows more about acting than I do thought he did a good job. So <laughs> take what I say with a grain of salt, if you will. Huh. Maybe others think he did it. Well, clearly at least someone thinks he did a better job than I think he did with this episode. But It's the awards was... program for the British Columbia film and television industry. Yeah. All right. Ah, very local. Hyper local. Yeah, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So what's next? Next. Season 7, Episode 7, an SGC Naquita mining operation on a distant planet is attacked by a native tribe of Unas. SG-1 is sent to protect the miners and discovers that the Unas are guarding land they believe sacred. Instead of eradicating the Unas as ordered, Daniel races to negotiate with them before the Pentagon demands their complete destruction. Yeesh. Yeah. Um, what was cool. the title of the episode? Oh, did I not say that? I didn't... Enemy Mine. Yeah, thank you. Ooh, double entendre. <laughs> oh. And the TVDB says, when Earth's attempts to exploit a newly discovered Naquita mine are thwarted by a tribe of indigenous Unas, SG-1 must turn to an old friend for help. Do we think Daniel wins or do we follow the uh, the, the the ways of American, <laughs> American history? history? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good call. I kind of hope that the indigenous people's Unases and presumably Daniel hope they win. Hope so. And that we don't get to just exploit the people and... Yeah the land that they are on but who knows i guess we'll find out i don't remember this episode i feel like i remember flashes of it but i might just be mixing it up with the other unas episodes fair we probably won't see shaka again will we i don't know i was wondering if that's going to be who the old friend is that they turn to for help oh you know what maybe it is does that mean shaka shaka oh my god has been traveling from like unas world to unas world uh, well, I thought maybe this was the same Unas world oh, as before. Oh, interesting. And I don't know. I'm just guessing because, again, I don't really remember anything. But that was my take on just the explanation here. Wouldn't that be dangerous to have it on the original Unas world that was also full of hagfish pools? Yes, it would. But if there was Naquita <laughs> there, I am sure that that would not stop them. Fair. <laughs> and also, I'm sure that they probably, well, I'm not sure, but also they likely will just not bother to address that. <laughs> would be yeah. also my guess. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Do we need to talk about anything else? Not that I know of. Okay. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and like it and review it wherever you can. We greatly appreciate it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at stargatesing at gmail.com or you can visit our website, stargatesing.space, where you can... Leave us voicemails and also use our contact form. And also you can, re- I think you can review us right on the website. You yeah. can. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So we just got one today. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. And if you would enjoy social medias, you can find us on the social medias on the Instagrams and the mastodon.world. <laughs> and um, yeah. both we are at Stargazing. <laughs> and finally, if you would like to you can 
go on over to patreon.com slash stargatesing and sign up to support us with money. Please, and thank you. Yes, thank you. I'm Kathy. I'm Mary. And you've been listening to Stargatesing. The end. The end. I don't need no notes. (laughs) I need lots of notes.